Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Today I would like for us to begin a two, perhaps even a three-part study into the difficulties and the pitfalls that we can expect to encounter if we do dare test those limits that these verses are implying here in verse 18 especially, do not get drunk with wine. If we dare test that limit, what are the difficulties and pitfalls? Also today I would ask that you bear with me because the message is one of more practical thought rather than spiritual depth. And I've asked myself, is such a message proper from this pulpit? And not usually, not usually it isn't. But I believe that the Lord is leading me to give this one, so I will. And I would also ask you to bear with me in my use of some of my own personal experiences as examples I genuinely wish that I did not have some of those personal experiences, but unfortunately I do. And so I'll use some of those as examples. And I'll begin by reminding you that um, I am a relative latecomer to Christianity in that I was 29 years old before I finally realized I needed the Savior. And regrettably, some of those earliest years of my life were very turbulent for me allowing me to have opportunities to build up more sinful habits and attitudes and behaviors than I would like to remember. Baggage, they call it these days. Baggage that I would need to deal with uh, in my relationship with Christ. And uh, I recall that it was almost immediately upon my receiving Christ that the Holy Spirit then did begin to do that uncomfortable but necessary work that the Holy Spirit does. John chapter 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And He did that with me. He did that with me. He began immediately to dig into my errant soul, searching out those sinful habits and attitudes and behaviors that were not fitting for a newborn child of God. Some of those habits that I developed, those attitudes and behaviors, were below the surface. And they were not so obvious. But this one of my drinking and the attending attitudes that went with my drinking, they could easily be seen. And they can always easily be seen. And I recall that I began to be able to then see these problems that I was having. It was as if a light had been turned on. Even though my faith in those days was still in, in its infancy, I was able to see the ill effects that alcohol would bring and was bringing to me and to my family. And it was also then that God brought to my memory all of the misery and the mistreatment that had taken place in my family when I was a child because of my father's drinking habits. 
he had died when I was only 10 years old. And because I was so young, I was not able to get to know him well. But regrettably, regrettably, even the very few memories that I had of him were mostly all bad ones. And most all of those having to do with his drinking and with his mistreatment of my mother when he had had too much to drink. I wish even now that I had some better memories of my dad. But I don't. And sadly, I know that my dad would have wished that I could have good memories of him. Because according to family friends who knew him well, my dad was a a real decent sort of man when he was sober. But his excessive drinking ruined whatever opportunities might have otherwise taken place. And he died a young man, age 51. There is a uncomfortable, an unfortunate subtlety that takes place within the minds of everyone who drinks, especially the regular drinkers. Though they may be of reasonable intelligence, as with my father, my father was uh, could do many things well, the alcohol has a way of confusing a person's ability to think rightly. And they never quite perceive what a mess that they're making of their lives and of their family's lives. But their loved ones do know. Their loved ones know, and they suffer for it. As for me, although through my father's behavior, I knew the misery that alcohol would and could bring to a family still just as soon as I myself was able to begin to drink, and that was at age 17 because I joined the Air Force, I dove into that habit head first, and I did not come back up for air until the days I spoke about a moment ago when the Holy Spirit began to convict me of how wrong I was. Now may I say that as those years progressed into adulthood, many who might have observed me at the time, my drinking habits might not have looked as if they were excess. Because I really did keep up a good image. In those earlier days, I was becoming a successful banker, doing very well in my job. And I was able to keep a reasonable family atmosphere going. But in looking back on those days, I can recall that there was always a drink somewhere near my hand. And I always had an angry spirit. An angry spirit. A combination that my father had. And again, thankfully so, though, in those earliest days of my salvation, God began to reveal all of that to me. He began to reveal those dangerous pitfalls that alcohol brings. And especially with two, two pitfalls within my ability to think straight. One pitfall was that I could quickly develop an eye for women other than my sweet wife. And that's a very common pitfall for men. The other pitfall was that alcohol dulled my mind and kept me from realizing the importance of my family. And those two concerns became very important to me. 
But it was also in those days that I began to realize that in some of the other regular drinkers that I knew and I hung out with, some levels of alcohol could remain in their system with only a little bit needed to be added to keep their senses continually a little bit dulled. Perhaps not really drunk, but clearly dulled. And that's part of the definition of this word in front of us here today in verse 18. Dissipation. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Dissipation is one of those words that we don't often use in our regular conversation. But as each of the words in this Bible is always so very important to God, so is this one. And God used it for a very special reason. Because here it fits so very well in describing this subtle pitfall of a regular drinker. What I would call a regular drinker. Considering this this word dissipation, my first thought goes to the visual image of smoke or fog. Smoke or fog usually remain for a relatively short period of time and then they vanish. They quickly vanish. Fog, smoke dissipates into the air and disappears. And here God is giving an exact same analogy to the effects that drinking can bring to our lives. He did not use this word miscellaneously. He used it intentionally to say this is what takes place with your life when you drink. Now to the regular drinkers, their senses will remain slightly dulled, as I said a moment ago, by the alcohol that remains within them. We don't realize that it's still there. I used to drink quite a bit. And it would stay in my system for two and three days. Again, I did not know that was taking place at the time. But its effects were to dull, slightly dull, all that would take place in my day. And the hours of the day would pass and they would dissipate and they would evaporate. Oftentimes, without me even knowing, without these other friends of mine even knowing, remembering all of the things that had taken place within those hours. The very regrettable part, listen, the very regrettable part of that whole experience is that while yes, the alcohol did smooth out some of the rough edges of the day. In the process, the person who drinks like that misses out on so many, many better things that they should have taken part in. Especially those things having to do with love and family. Those very best things in life. Good marriages. Good friendships good jobs. They all simply dissipate into thin air. And the person doesn't even know what's taking place until they've already lost those things that are most dear to them. For myself, as I began to think through all these things, I recall confronting myself with the question of why I thought I needed to drink in the first place. 
Why did I need to drink in the first place? By the way, by this time I was a believer. So I had the Holy Spirit to help me with these answers. And the only answer that I could come up with as to why I wanted to drink to begin with was that I just did not like myself very well the way I was. I didn't like my personality too well. And I didn't like my life circumstances. Although I was successful in my work, had a lovely wife, by then uh, two children, but with only just a little bit of alcohol, even one drink, perhaps a couple of beers, things took on a whole different look. And as I observed other drinkers, that seemed also to be the, much the same with them. They didn't like themselves either. had a friend make a statement one time about intoxication in general. He said to another friend of his, his, he says, you know, the only time I like you is when I'm drinking. As silly as that sounds, it's real truth. So often that's real truth. Alcohol, in particular, is so benign within our thought processes these days. Not so much like those other stiffer drugs. But let me assure you, alcohol is just as bad. It has a magic to it. It blurs the mind and it blurs the senses so that a person doesn't have to see and deal with the real truth that's taking place. It's much like the words that we studied last week in Romans 1, there in verse 25. We're told, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Isn't that rationale utterly silly? Foolish. We don't like the way we look, so we take a couple of drinks of alcohol to blur our mind, and then suddenly things look better. Think about that. That's just silly. Because sadly, nothing has really changed. We have simply exchanged the truth for a lie. And we foolishly began to believe that lie. What fools we are. Again, and thankfully so, shortly after I received Christ, the Holy Spirit began to do this cleansing work in my heart and in my mind and my soul, and I became convinced that I really did need to stop it. I needed to stop drinking, and I needed to stop acting so foolishly. And I did. And also, thankfully, as I agreed with God that I needed to quit drinking, He was generous to me. And he gave me all the help I needed to put it all behind me. And I recognize how generous that was because a lot of folks, like me, when they try to stop drinking, they struggle with it. They struggle for many years. But the Lord enabled me to stop right away. And I recognize that that was a gift from him. But listen, one thing more for myself, I also realized that I needed to go one step further than some other people might need to go with their drinking. I needed to become a teetotaler. Now, why was that so? It was because I came to the conclusion that the problems that my dad experienced were probably passed on to me. 
I was my father's son. And I had been acting just like my father. I now know that my decision that I made in those days was the best one that I could have made. Because since those days, I've studied a lot in scriptures about curses. And the curse of dependence upon alcohol can really be passed along through the bloodlines. And I believe that was probably so with me. And so I had to become a teetotal. And so for over 40 years now, I have not taken a drink of any kind of alcohol, not even a casual one-time drink. And I really believe I'm so much better for having made and kept that strong decision because I don't have to deal with things that I might have otherwise. Now, question. Does every person who receives Christ have to become a teetotaler? Should everyone stop drinking altogether? May I quickly say that there is no command given in these scriptures that demand that we give give up drinking altogether. I simply at least have not found it. And as you know, Jesus' first miracle was that of turning water into wine. And for some people, wine can have a good settling effect on their digestive system. The Apostle Paul advised Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. And so, no, Scripture does not say you have to stop drinking alcohol altogether. But with that being said, a caution is also in order. Along with those approvals that we read of, like the ones I just did, there are multitudes, multitudes upon multitudes of warnings about excessive drinking. Listen to these. This is Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And you'll recall the verse we just read there in Ephesians, that we are to be wise. Walk as wise and not unwise. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. And in Isaiah 28, this having to do with even those who are leaders in churches, Isaiah 28, verse 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. The Lord doesn't hold back on his illustrations, does he? These kinds of warnings are over and over again all through the scriptures about the excessive use of alcohol. Far outnumbering the approvals. So the best answer for us, I believe, is given in today's passage. Verse 15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And listen... So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, 
for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. As we said in the message last week, the wisdom that's spoken about here comes from the Holy Spirit. And we're to walk as wise men and women and not as unwise, making the best use of our time. And as we're told here, the days that we live in and the world that swirls all about us is truly very, very evil. Reaching out to grab hold of us, to pull us into its ways. But you and I, who have Christ as our Lord, are called to put, listen, we're called to put one thing above all else. Verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Above all else, above all else, you and I are to first and always understand what the will of the Lord is. So then, a simple question. Can you even imagine for a moment that it is the will of God that it would even be remotely pleasing to Him for you or me to even slightly have a dependence upon alcohol just to be able to make it through the day? Can you imagine the Lord approving of that? Even beyond that, can you imagine for a moment that God is pleased with you when your mind starts to get blurred by the alcohol and you begin to say and to do things that are foolish and unseemly? And then even beyond that, can you even for a moment imagine that God is pleased when you get mean and nasty? Because that is the exact effect that alcohol has on so many, many people, especially men. And that was so, so very true with my dad. And I remember it so well. But it was also true with his son, me. I drank and I was an angry man. It is not God's will and it does not please Him when His beloved children do those awful, those silly, those mean things. And that's part of the warning that he is giving here. Know what the will of the Lord is. As I studied these words of today's scripture, the word dissipation has a meaning also of excess and all the way to debauchery. So then, as we said a moment ago, while it's not a sin to have a drink, it is a sin when it becomes excess. And it provokes us to behavior that we should not be involved in. If it does, then we really are drunk with wine. And while that may sound like a simple answer, unfortunately it isn't. It's not simple at all. Why isn't it? It's because most people who drink want to drink. There's another factor that's added in. They want to drink. And when they want to drink, their minds get so blinded to the truth that they begin to make wrong decisions. And the word excess, the word excess becomes a matter of opinion based more on their emotions than on good reasoning. When I was at the point of making those choices for myself, I asked myself such questions as, am I drunk? when I can't keep control of my car as I drive? 
Or am I drunk when I quickly get nasty and unkind to my wife and my children? Or am I drunk when everyone else is wrong and I'm always right? And on and on. I ask questions such as that. And I had to come to the conclusion that I would be drunk when even one small part of my ability to reason was affected. Let me say that again. I concluded that I was drunk when even one small part of my ability to reason was affected. So I decided to test myself. I won't share with you some of those details because they're not necessarily good for this pulpit. But I decided to test myself and I found out that it only took one drink. One drink to alter my ability to think as I did before I took that first drink. Therefore, one drink was excess and made me drunk with wine. Now most drunks really don't like to hear those words. But I had to come to that conclusion. If I was ever going to have a relationship with the Lord, I would have to come to that conclusion. The Lord was going to have to be my crutch instead of the alcohol. If I ever hoped to have a relationship with my family, then I was going to need to be sober all of the time. Us men don't realize it, but our wives can perceive things that we don't think they can. And even the slightest amount of alcohol in my system would surely be very evident to my dear wife. Now, again, such things are an individual decision that every person needs to make between them and the Lord and also between them and their families, their loved ones. I'll need to stop right now, but I would caution each of us to be really honest with ourselves and with the Lord. And I would suggest that if we decide we still want to continue to drink, that we need to really on a regular basis find someone, a loved one, who will be very honest with us and will be willing to tell us the truth if we ask them about our drinking, if it's to excess. We need to spend a lot of time on our knees with the Lord. And we'll be talking about that next week. I hope then to spend some time on what these scriptures say that God thinks about our drinking. Let me close with verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray.